Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week we're talking to Andrew Atfield. He's Associate Director of Public Health at Bart's Health NHS Trust. And I think the work that we're doing with Bart's underlines the fact that actually as a large employer, Bart's can have a massive impact on levelling up. And that, of course, is alongside all of the work that it does as an NHS trust in its local community, making sure that people stay healthy and if they get ill, that they can get quick and effective healthcare. It's great to have you on the podcast, Andrew. Why don't we just start, perhaps, um, for people who aren't familiar, maybe with London or, or the part of the city that you serve as Bart's Health NHS Trust, Tell us a little bit about the community and then perhaps we can go on and talk about some of the particular health challenges that, that you see locally. Thanks very much, Justine. Uh, well, we're a hospital group. And for those who are not familiar with that, these are groups of hospitals run by a single body, but having a, uh, having a lot of autonomy in terms of how they, how they work and how they relate to their communities. That's, the, that's our vision uh, for the area. We cover what would you, would you call the East End, really? This includes the borough, boroughs of uh, Tower Hamlets, Newham, Hackney, Waltham Forest. Uh, we also cover the City of London. We have the, uh, Europe's oldest hospital at, uh, at um, St. Bartholomew's, which is based uh, near St. Paul's Cathedral. We have uh, uh, one of the biggest hospitals in Europe, the Royal London Hospital in Whitechapel, which is where I'm currently based, and uh, some uh, long-established institutions of Whips Cross Hospital and, and Newham. So we cover around about a uh, population, about 2 million or so. Uh, it's uh, areas of high inequality and high deprivation. It's not universally so. Obviously, it's got the city, it's got Canary Wharf, it's got other parts of uh, relatively well-off parts uh, of, of London included as well. But uh, primarily, it's, the, it's, it's uh, still an area that's extremely diverse in population in terms of ethnicities and history. Uh, and it's... In terms of health, you had has the kinds of attributes you expect from areas of, areas of high deprivation. So the sorts of things that have affected um, negatively the impact on mortality with COVID. So high preponderance of heart disease, stroke, um, diabetes, uh, respiratory, disease, respiratory diseases like uh, asthma and COPD, um, mm -hmm. hypertension, and so on. And is it? A particularly young, um, a young demographic that you're serving, maybe compared to other NHS trusts around the country. I think London generally is a fairly young city. Um, I think it's, it's I, I'm reluctant to give you a complete quote, but I, but I, but I think we have quite high high populations under 25. It's extremely um, uh, high turnover of population as well, historically anyway, in terms of. Uh, Populations coming in and moving out, and and uh, also quite a because it's a central London. We have also quite a in normal times anyway uh, a high level of uh, pop, uh, people coming in and out of the in and out of the the centre as well in terms of commuters and uh, and tourists. And obviously, your focus, I mean, day to day is obviously public health in particular. Does that transient community both? commuters but as you say often people moving in and out you know and I found this in my constituency in Putney we had big churn and actually it's almost just the nature of London living and I think certainly 
my constituency alongside Battersea were very young demographic profiles and it's just a stage of people's lives where they are moving. Does that make it harder in a sense to deliver healthcare outcomes if it's less easy to have that sort of develop relationship with us with a sort of static if I can put it like that way population have you had to find different ways to make sure you can deliver public health messages that stick yes it is I mean we we wouldn't uh, we we consider our population the patient population and those who are coming in through our patients uh, rather than many public most public health teams which are based in local mm -hmm. authorities and have more settled communities so we we look at things a bit differently uh, mm -hmm. We look at we, analyze, we we do an awful lot of work around health equity, which is essentially meaning that you should get the same access to healthcare and hopefully the same experience of healthcare, regardless of your uh, background. Whether you know, so we've looked at uh, um, ethnicity, age, uh, sex, uh, and uh, and other other protective characteristics. We're doing some work around uh, people with learning disabilities, for example, at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is really quite practical public health in the sense is that we, you know, sometimes it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's sort of kind of like oversight or, or poor understanding by, by healthcare professionals. You know, one, one simple example was that people, older people tended to have longer waits at A&E uh, emergency department than, uh, than younger people. And there was no real reason for that other than the fact they probably, you know, you can, you can guess the reasons why really, but so we, we corrected that in terms of looking at procedures and making sure making sure that population didn't have a worse time than others others are much more complex you know there's a huge amount of concern over maternity services nationally in terms of outcomes mm -hmm. uh, things like that which uh, so it's so the equity issue is very important to us um, and uh, to do that we've really started to kind of open our door a little bit the NHS is a bit of a silo particularly hospitals you know you tend to mm -hmm. often take a fairly um defensive approach as it were you know they tend to think of you know so so, so we from our um from really about 10 years or so really we started to work on a, on a program of addressing health inequalities and we we looked at three things on that one is how the sorts of things turn around equity how we how we deliver healthcare. Uh, secondly we looked at how we can promote healthcare both amongst the patients we have amongst staff as well so looking at things like stop smoking programs obviously mm -hmm. Smoking is still the biggest single avoidable reason why people in hospital. Um, and uh, the third area is an area which I'm particularly focused on is around the, in public health terms called the wider determinants of health. Um, and I don't think. And I, I guess to... this ties into you know that seminal work by Professor Michael Marmot around just those codependencies into you know in terms of outcomes for people. Exactly. Yeah, we're very obviously Marmot's a, a guru of this this kind of thing. Looking at the kind of uh, you know the social gradient of ill health. You know that was something mm -hmm. he worked off with the civil service uh, studies that he did prior. You know, the, the, and, and a lot of the work, a lot of the focus on the health of young people, children, and young people. Um, so that's very important to us. Really, it's something I think uh, is the whole health system needs to look at, as well as partners with local authorities, housing associations, and things like that. You know, some things we can't do much about. Housing is a, is a and the cost of housing is, is a massive issue in London. Yeah. And how do you end up making sure that you know on those very those different but related issues around around having that open door policy, 
you can make sure it, it genuinely works. Tell me some of the things that you do to make sure. I mean, you called it a defensive approach that, that a lot of hospitals have, which I guess is almost dealing with the challenges as best you can. Whereas I guess what you're saying is through your work, you, you're very much trying to more collaboratively work upstream to right. have this wider public health agenda that you you can you can obviously steer as an NHS trust working with others. Yes, I mean, I, this is a fair, across the country, it's, it's inconsistent. I don't think we we're 100% successful ourselves, to be honest with you, but uh, I think it's a bit of a change of culture, really, in terms of reaching mm -hmm. out. And I think some, you know, the tragedy of uh, COVID is, is, is all on our minds at the moment, but it did make, um, make us think again. I mean, one of the most successful initiatives, which uh, some of my colleagues have been more involved in than me, really, but uh, we set up an interfaith um, forum um, during the uh, first wave of COVID, which was um, uh, kind of uh, church leaders, Christian church leaders, uh, imam, rabbis, and other church and other other faiths uh, in East London. So you know, we have a very large Muslim population, it's like quite a big Jewish population. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know that was it was interesting because the that's something we we hadn't done consistently before, and that was and the the reaction was incredibly positive by the faith leaders of various sorts, and they said. Well, this is fantastic. Instead of us knocking on the door, you come to see us, which is, to be honest with you, is not that complicated, is it? But um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, that was really helpful because we had to explain, you know, make difficult conversations around uh, not letting visitors and family members into hospital at the time, also encouraging all the, you know, the face space and and uh, and hand stuff, which uh, which is important to get across to different different uh, a vast range of different communities and then more recently obviously we've we've, we've used the forum as a very much uh, to address things like vaccine hesitancy amongst some of the populations now it's an issue for london generally it relates to your point on churn and age of population is is that we do lag i think it's fair to say on on the numbers of people who've been vaccinated against covid although i think your vaccination team won an award didn't it as well andrew for the rates of vaccinations you know and the the approach in getting people to make sure they were they were vaccinated yes we went we opened some big vaccination centers though actually i, I think the you know the the, the the it's the people in primary care in community pharmacists who really deserve the mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. huge credit for, for that because that's i think it's the vast amount of vaccinations went through those routes but we you know we have tried very hard to take 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 um vaccination out into the community where we where we can do it into shopping centers and things like that to address you know to make it as easy as possible for people to get get the, get the chance and do you think that interfaith group and that sort of approach now it was obviously effective for covid but can be something that you keep going for the longer term that you can use as a as a forum more generally to to make progress on that sort of wider health agenda yes absolutely i mean what we what we've adopted over the last, um, I guess, about nearly a year now, really, since it's coming, is an inclusion strategy, which is uh, has got three big themes to it. One is around being fairer to our own staff. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, some of the discrepancies that came up around different ethnicity around COVID was a real massive driver for that. Uh, secondly, is looking at um, uh, uh, setting up an inclusion observatory, which is gathering data and providing kind of like a more transparent way of, 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 of presenting this you know, information on our own, on our own 
equity and, and delivery as well as more broader health things. Now, the third theory we call community connectivity, which is around talking to the community, developing our, you know, our partnership and our, our role as an employer uh, purchaser with the community. And that's, that's where all the kind of you know, the anchor institutions type of uh, language is coming in there. So we, we very much, uh, you know, led by Owen Williams, Dave Owen Williams, our chief executive, has, has really championed this as saying this is, this is inclusion in every respect, really. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it can really be massively transformational. And I mean, tell us a little bit as well. And then I want to come on to sort of the opportunities um, that the, the new Wips Cross Hospital Investment give you. But tell us a little bit about the broader partnership then. You mentioned, obviously, the, the faith groups, but I guess you're very plugged in with local authorities and also the local universities that you've got on your doorstep. Yes, we have good partnerships with... with um... Obviously, we're part of a wider health system, which is you know, coming in, in forming up, forming at the moment. Um, but we work very closely with with Newham and Tower Hamlets and Morgan Forest Councils um, on a range of different things. Really, uh, there's a lot of inter interconnected links. Some of them, you know, around employment and schools, which you know, as you know, is something we we major on. But it's also things like clean air, hospital programs, improving the quality of air quality around the hospitals, um, looking at some of access to green space. Um, and as far as possible, you know, looking at looking at some of the preventative um, intervention, interventions we can make. I mean, all, all doctors and nurses, and indeed all healthcare professionals, get prevention. Everyone knows that prevention is better than cure, um, but they have very, very little time to do this stuff. So I think it's the these sorts of, uh, of of kind of facilitating the kind of expertise you know, that we have within the hospitals more locally. Um, it's something we've just, you know, we're doing a bit of. I mean, there's a fantastic scheme. Um, it's called Elope, but I'm not sure. I can never remember exactly what it stands for. But it's <laughs> it sounds more exciting. It's not, nothing to do with the what you might expect the acronym is. Uh, but it's, it's run by a, a group of our um, uh, cardiac and uh, respiratory physicians who are, who are you know, are, who are, um, you know, want to can see how lifestyle factors, particularly obesity, lack of lack of physical activity is, 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 is starting to, to have you know, relatively young people in, in hospital for cardiac disease. And then there's another scheme, which I think is fantastic, actually, I was reading about it earlier today, is, um, is that we have an anti-violence anti uh, team uh, led by a, um, a nurse called Paige Brown, who's, um, which, is, which is linking with the St. Giles Trust. What this does is if a young person aged between uh, 11 and 25 is admitted to A&E with, with a, an apparent, with a, with a, with a uh, uh, injury that seems related to violence, mainly knife crime, um, is that they're, they're referred to the St. Giles Trust who, who do a programme of work with them. Either they can be a perpetrator or they can be a victim, or they can be both. Which is a, you know, it's from a health point of view, it's, it's not our, it's, it's, you know, we would try to help. And that team also goes into things like um, uh, uh, pupil referral units, young offender institutions to talk about what it feels like as a healthcare professional to, to be, you know, treating young people, you know, knife, people in school uniform with knife wounds. I mean, it's, it's, it's and, you know, what, on what to do. And we do some, with our broader young people, we do things like um, what we call zero responder uh, sessions, which is basically what do you do? It's a bit like first aid, really. What do you do mm -hmm. if you have to? 
first on the first on the on the scene of a uh, of a knife crime or similar sort of incident, uh, and that's you know you can imagine obviously we, you bring it, you bring in the ambulance is the first thing you do, but uh, it's what you can do, and that's really quite um, it's quite inspiring to work with the police and with the um, with the um, violence reduction nurses on that. So those are you know there are there are others, but those are a couple of I think fairly material ways in which a hospital can reach out to its community and actually obviously in the latter case that was a very serious very serious um, immediate um, gain in the former case it's a bit more long term but it's still incredibly important that we, uh, we you know we use health promotion wherever we can and I think what it shows is that it goes back to the marmot work really in a way that often the health that we have is is a reflection of our wider life and therefore you know sometimes it can be when we wander into a hospital for whatever reason you know and we're sat there confronting almost the impact that it's having on us physically or mentally that that's maybe a time when you can really get someone to engage with the fact that they need to change or they need to have a different mindset and and actually at that stage even if the NHS isn't going to take a lead if you like on what that change needs to be um you can kind of be a catalyst in a way for a wider change in a person's life I think to to make a change for the better and and then liaise and work with some of those other those other partners which are, I think is absolutely fantastic and what I what I did want to kind of also ask you about was you know you talked about careers and you know how you're looking at your procurement and and in a sense what you as literally as an organization that's a big employer what you can do um around leveling up an opportunity tell us a little bit about that sort of as you described it that anchor institution um sense that you've got at Barts. well i think when when the when the trust was formed for a merger of the of the three different nhs trusts uh, about 2012 actually um i think the board at the time recognized that we we were in an area of high need high inequalities. Um, so it adopted the public health vision at that point. At that point, we adopted a programme which we call Community Works for Health. And what we said here is that London's a big place. We employ about uh, 17,500 people at the moment, plus there's contracted services, volunteers. You know, when we toss it all up, it probably comes to well over 20,000. And would you be, I mean, presumably, you'd be one of the biggest employers, um, I mean, obviously alongside um, companies in the city but you're probably one of the biggest other employers in that area I guess. Yeah I, I suspect we're the biggest single employer if you, if you treat us as a, as a unit of the NHS. We're bigger than any, any, any anyone else I'm aware of in terms of a in terms of a, a, a local employer. So we wanted to take that responsibility quite clearly and we worked out that there was about 300 jobs every year that came out that were accessible to local people who did have relatively low qualifications. Uh, these are things like healthcare assistants, um, medical laboratory assistants, you know, admin roles, such as a receptionist on an operating theatre. Um, so we, we decided we wouldn't, we would try to recruit from the community to those roles because we didn't, we couldn't see major barriers to those. So we set up a series of partnerships with um, people like Job Centre Plus, but also the local authorities, um, housing associations and we said to, if you find some people who want to work for us who look you know frankly uh, 
you know, that are serious about the opportunity. We will, we will, we will do an initial screen. We'll check them for English and maths, the you know, functional skills they need, and uh, we will provide them with additional training uh, in terms of how to fill the NHS application form in, which I know is, may sound basic, but for a lot of people, I'm not used to dealing with these you know, quite long forms and things. So we've done that, and um, that's uh, that's that's a program that regularly gets about uh, over a hundred people into work a year into the scheme. So we reckon we've well over a thousand local people have now, um, you know, accessed employment who otherwise may have struggled to do that. Uh, about I would say probably about fifty percent fail the functional skills test, which is not which is not it's, it's, it's a, it's a, in some ways it's shocking, but in some ways not not uh, unexpected. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't say, um, you know, many, you know, attitude for these sorts of jobs. Attitude is probably ninety percent of the of the job requirements. They, if they really want to do it, we say we refer them to adult learning services, further education. We say if you can come back with, you know, to partial maths tests, it's sort of level two, at GCSE level, um, then we will, we, we you know, we'll still be there for you, as it were. So once they're through the hoop on that, so these jobs are not widely advertised, they become effectively, we treat them as, as uh, volunteers or internal staff uh, for the trust. In fact, volunteers go through the same how do you, um, So how do you find those people, in a sense, locally? What, what, what's the outreach, in a sense, that means you can get those applicants and, and start to try and get them through the door? Well, I think we're lucky to have a, most of the local, all the local authorities have kind of local brokerage and, and you know, education providers like further education colleges and housing associations are really keen on this stuff as well. So effectively, they, they send us the, they do the outreach for us. Mm -hmm. um, the hope, you know, that the promise, as it were, is that you, you will get this uh, exclusive access to the, to these sets of jobs. Uh, about, um, in the talent pool any time there's between 100 and 200 people around we reckon about at least 50 percent get into work probably more than that so some people get jobs elsewhere in the nhs or you know they look at you know they find another job or whatever but most people get a positive outcome out out of the out of the experience and we have some really fantastic stories of people who you know really struggle sometimes they've had experience of healthcare in countries outside britain you know have a fight have a struggle to relate that other times it's people who just think, well, you know, the NHS looks a bit too posh for me, you know, it's not for me. And we say, well, you know, surprisingly enough, we're not, <laughs> there's a job there for you. It's yeah, very me. Yeah. We have all sorts of people, everyone from gardeners to, uh, to surgeons, you know, there's, there's a role for you in the NHS if you, you know, if this is what you, where you want to work. Um, so that's uh, something we've done year on year. Uh, then a few years ago, we, we, we thought, well, this is good, but we, we also want to, create opportunities for uh, people who want to access at the higher levels. Uh, so we did two things really. First of all, you know, something I think we're still working on really. Is Actually, just um, um, just when you say people who want to access at the higher level, this is what bringing people into the NHS at a more senior level or progressing people who are already part of the NHS, but perhaps haven't really thought of a career. Well, I think both things really. We, we, we do have a big apprenticeship program. It's, it's not as it's not as efficient as, as we'd like, which is not a criticism of uh, my colleagues in, who, who run that within the trust. They do their absolute best with it, uh, but the system is not as not as uh, as e you know it's, it's not as, as easy as we would all hope. I think I'm sure I'm sure Anne Milton would, would be also interested in that from, from her background. 
Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, certainly, you know, we want to create roots in. So for example, if you are an HCA, um, there is an opportunity to become a nurse associate apprentice and that gets you to a, you know, to become a, a higher level than is if you, you know, then from there on, you can do another two years and you can become a nurse. So there is some internal roots. I think those are still, still developing across all the different professions, but that's, that's a really positive route. Uh, but we also wanted to get more people in at, uh, at a higher level. And this is we really a kind of widening participation approach, which is kind of language that universities use. Uh, difference between us and them in, in the sense is we took a geographical place-based approach. So we didn't just go for particular groups, those who were um, particularly disadvantaged. We said to schools, well, if you want to work with us, we will work with you. So we now work with uh, 37 schools. We're very lucky mm -hmm. to get funding from initially from the JP Morgan Foundation, uh, now subsequently from the Bath Charity, and also from the Prince's Trust uh, to, to run this scheme. So, you know, we want to sustain it. Uh, is, um, so we now work with 37 schools with six forms. Uh, in our next phase, we want to work with GCS students, GCSE students as well. So the next, you know, the, the next layer down, as it were. And it's a bit like your language of working upstream, really, is if we can get at the um, young people who, who are already kind of you know, dismissed about the, the option of being a nurse or a doctor or, or haven't heard of jobs, you know, don't know what an occupational therapist is or a radiologist is or things like that, then we can start to broaden the range, you know. It's, mm. uh, and this has been, it's, I think uh, we're waiting for the UCAS clearing before we, before we can go really public on it, but I think we'll get over 100 young people into health-related degrees who otherwise may not have gone into them. I mean, the, you know, the, when we do a sort of before and after assessment of the young people engage with this and about their confidence levels raises in terms of applying for you know, health-related degree raises from about sort of like 20% to 90% over the, over the course of the program. And in doing that, we have um, clinic, clinic, clinical colleagues doing um, you know, providing work experience when we can do that. At the moment, it's a struggle. Uh, and um, uh, providing online um, tutorials, talking about what you know, the group of mid fantastic group of midwives talking about talking about you know the, their role and how they got into being a midwife. You know what to put on the form, and uh, also providing online mentoring. Um, so this is, I think, this is a really good way. If we try to by doing it online, actually, is um, although it's. Not, though it's a, it took a bit of a while to reorganise it, we've kind of invented something called online work experience, uh, mm -hmm. which is which is um, sounds a bit paradoxical, but it is a bit. But because we couldn't get young people into their into their one week placements, um, we, we 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 set up a whole sort of platform, which is which is um, which involves some films of clinicians, uh, say linked to the online mentoring. Uh, some 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 broadcast sessions where people could ask questions. And of course, because online, you know, we're not restricted in numbers. So actually, you know, paradoxically, perhaps it's, it's, it's the outreach on that has been has extended over the last year. Um, so that's uh, that's something uh, which is really good. As I said, it allows us to talk talk to people about jobs that they don't never heard of or don't really understand. You know, most most young people uh, get their understanding from of healthcare from you know casualty or call the midwife or whatever um yeah it's good but uh 
you know, they said it's unranked. It doesn't give the whole picture, does it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, that's, um, you know, uh, so that that's, obviously there are people like me who are not, who are not clinical at all. And uh, so, you know, people who, who can do a whole range of different skills in the, um, into the profession. So, so that's been, you know, we've, we've assisted, I think we must have seen about 2000 young people by now. And, uh, and some, and the idea really is to reach areas of London that not traditionally been confident about delivering uh, people into nursing or, or medicine, dentistry, the health sciences, essentially a lot of health professions. Um, obviously the NHS is extremely diverse. So it's not just about ethnicity, it's about particular populations. Uh, that are that um, don't have those kind of family and community connections. You know, very often you talk to a medical student and you find out their their mum or their dad is a, was in a profession and things like that. And of course, that's great. Um, but uh, we also want uh, you know the people you know to broaden the social strata a bit, really, so we get the most talented people into these into these jobs. And I suppose it's a win-win, really, isn't it? Because a they are getting exposed to some amazing opportunities, fantastically rewarding careers within the NHS, but also it's an NHS that has roles it needs to fill that are really important for the wider community. And, you know, we call it the NHS, but actually I think for all of us, it's, it's above all the very local service and almost the more local people you can expose those opportunities to really the better because it, it will genuinely feel like a community looking after its health I guess. Yeah I think there's a, there's a strong sense of ownership there. People are of course are very attached to the NHS, they recognise you know, important life events happen in hospitals, births, deaths, you know, sicknesses and things like that. Um, so people are, are very attached to, to, to their hospitals um, as you all know. Um, which is good but it's even stronger if they can think that actually it's a place where I where my family works which is is open to the to, to the community and I think in London the fact that it's so difficult you know the rents in London are, 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 are ridiculous really so I think having you know from a practical point of view having people access to a population that's either in social housing or you know in, in long established owner occupied housing means that sometimes uh, you know we can we can actually have a more stable population. So we, you know, we, you know, our analysis is is that people who are local tend to stay around the area a bit more. You know, so that's that's good for us as well in terms of sustaining. You know, as you know, there's a cost involved with replacing staff, and I think we tend to get better quality care if people are long established in the in in the you know in in in, in the role. Um, so that's 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 important to us. And I say having people who look like you. You know, at least you know, not always speak all the same, all the language. That'd be extremely difficult in, in our part, London. But at least you know, there's that kind of sense of, that does kind of diffuse some of the, um, you know, any barriers. To, you know, and hopefully will help people access healthcare in a more, in a, in a, in a, in a better way. And I, I think, I mean, the other part of it I, I really wanted to ask about was, was your own career, Andrew. Obviously, you said you know you're not a clinician. Tell us a little bit about the journey. You know, to end up being associate director for public health, um, I'm going to guess, like for most of us, it's not been this straight line um, that sees you you in the role that you're currently doing. No, I think I'm very unusual, possibly unique, really, coming into public health from a relatively late on. Um, I won't bore you with the whole thing, but because it, it's a it's a, you know, a 
getting I'm, I'm getting towards the end of my uh, career I'm afraid uh, but uh, I, my first job actually was work helping with young people uh, with sickle cell uh, anemia uh, to mm -hmm. get work uh, it was a scheme back in the 1980s and, uh, and that, that was the first time that struck me the links between poor health and work and uh, although I'm a white person myself it gave me a really incredible insight this is up in Tottenham um, up in the in the mid 80s in terms of uh, working you know some of, the some of the challenges faced by people from African African Caribbean communities so I don't pretend to be the expert by any means on that but it was quite an early insight into that uh, and I did a lot of work around employment and uh, deprived communities in the 80s as a sort of practitioner really as advisor and you know, developing projects and things like that uh, mainly in the charity sector uh, and then I worked in regeneration in, uh, in local authority background in Hackney um, partly responsible for the regeneration of Shoreditch and Hobson. Some people say we shouldn't have bothered, but there we go. Um, and um, then I got interested in, I've got more, I got interested in community development. So I, you know, I worked for, worked, worked in a local charity in Morgan Forest for a few years, uh, working with uh, communities, social housing communities, um, on a sort of housing action trust, uh, it shows you how far back this was. Uh, but again, that was incredibly insightful working with low-income communities and excluding socially, not to use of language, low-income and socially excluded communities. And again, there was the obvious links there between ingrained poor health and inequalities and, uh, and, and, uh, and you know, what, what you could do with that in terms of improving aspirations and youth, you know, I'm very interested in the youth, youth work and things like that around that. Then, then Good number of years ago, I was, I was regenerating. I, I got a job as uh, originally doing some work um, on a consultancy basis, and then got it's kind of lured into a job as a regeneration manager for what's then Arts in London, which was mm -hmm. then about to build this huge new hospital, Whitechapel, and uh, the new one, what is now a new heart hospital and cancer hospital at uh, Bath. Uh, so that really got me interested in what the NHS the system can do around this, as well as mm -hmm. some of the other things. And then, um, as I say, about 10 years ago, well, no, but, uh, just nearly 10 years ago, I was, you know, having also worked in primary care in the interim, I got, you know, effectively, I was told I was doing public health, even though I wasn't, even though I'd never, I'd never actually uh, formally had that. So, so when we set up a uh, public health um, uh, department, uh, me and some of my colleagues I was working with were, were brought into that to, to, to um, Offer a kind of you know, the the work around wider determinants and also some of the work around health promotion that we were doing. So that's uh, basically it. Yeah. So now you know I was very lucky to be elected to the Faculty of Public Health, and uh, you know I've done some training around that. But uh, um, I'm quite a, an unusual beast, really. But in some ways, I think quite a useful beast for the NHS because we're we, you know it's in terms of um, having that experience of working with communities and not being afraid to kind of um, ask questions around, you know, what more could be done on that has, has perhaps been something which, you know, is, if you're a NHS lifer, you've probably not got that kind of a, a background. And I guess as we look at the redevelopment around Whips Cross and, and you know, what that will mean for the broader community in terms of regeneration, I, I suppose all of your experience, you know, really comes into play with those sorts of projects. Yeah, I've got, we're very lucky actually. We've got some really, really good team at the Whips Cross Redevelopment uh, 
program already already sees this really I mean, there's a local community forum already in, in being there uh, and our aspirations uh, if we can make it through the um, new hospital program um, is uh, to is to is to is to have a very significant amount of the um, tender process marked in terms of social value um, we would hope I think we would, mm -hmm. we were hoping for at least 10 percent of, of any of any process to be marked in terms of social value um, and more than that if we can get away with it the sorts of things that will include um, will be the things that you will know and love really you know in terms of employment careers um, trying to uh, source local businesses as part of the supply chain for this capital investment I mean it it depends on what the final figure comes out is really but we would be surprised if uh, if that hospital, new hospital Whips Cross in Leytonstone uh, comes out much less than half a million quid, I think probably more. Our experience is these schemes tend to go up rather than down. But I know from government that's probably the case. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So effectively, just this again, incredible opportunity to to not only um, you know, as you say, explicitly drive social value in in how you build the site and, and procurement, but then I guess some new opportunities that come from that investment in the new hospital, um, which is fantastic in and of itself. And, and I suppose you can bring some of that experience um, as a BART's trust that you've had with schools in, in other, you know, in other activities and, and now bring that to some of those, those new roles that will be at the, the redeveloped part of Whips Cross Hospital? Yes, that's, a, that's certainly our strong hope and aspiration. We have, we have a sustainability you know, charter that we've written there as well. The, the aim is to get a zero carbon hospital uh, mm -hmm. up and running. It's, uh, the, the, the site itself is a sprawling kind of Edwardian site with lots of bits that built on over, over the last hundred years. Uh, the aim is to, is, to, is, to, is to focus healthcare on about a quarter to a third of the site and then uh, there won't be us being a, doing, doing a development for sure, but uh, turn the rest into a, into a housing, into housing uh, for the community in the area with also community facilities. So I think that's, mm -hmm. that's quite a, a powerful message, really. Um, it's also going to have a strong focus on, um, on, uh, on, the, um, on, on, on older life, uh, on the, old, uh, the older population. So actually, that's also thinking about how you know we can keep people healthier for longer, uh, prevent re readmittance for the things like that. And that's another kind of angle of this. And what we with social value, I mean, local authorities, I think, are much far, and the construction industry is quite well, quite well attuned to this. I think the NHS is, is still learning. We can learn from those partners in this. Um, but what we're trying to do is something. I, I, if we if we can do it, will be good trick I think uh, is to use it not just for the procurement process but also as a way of measuring our larger social economic impact and also start to broaden the social value framework a bit more to you know to start to detail some of the some of the health uh, improvement outcomes that come out of that so relating it back to the public health outcomes framework which sounds a bit technical but basically it's saying you know, this, this might well have a social economic impact, but we can also start to pull out some of the wider health benefits, you know, for example, impact, improved impact on mental health and well-being, um, whether we can help, um, you know, the construction 
uh, teams on site to be healthier, things like that. You know, there's some, there's and when when you um, when you look at the sort of ten percent that's social value, um, how does that work in practice? I mean, what would that mean um, for the procurement approach? Well, it means that if you're a tender, and obviously these will be big firms who are going for this, is that to get the tender, they're going to have to demonstrate that they can they can address the targets around local employment, uh, also not just local employment, but also looking at things like apprenticeships, looking at how they can target uh, you know, communities that are inside the black and minority ethnic community, which tends to have higher rates of unemployment than the white community, and looking at groups such as uh, perhaps homeless people or ex-offenders so that they can target areas of particular need. So that's, so basically no one will get the tent. They won't be, even if they're a brilliant con con contractor, the aim really won't be, well, is that they won't get the job unless they can really demonstrate that they're committed to partnering with us uh, to, live, to deliver this wider social value. Which I think, we, I think it, it's absolutely the right approach, Andrew. Um, I think it's spot on and, Good luck with all of that as it as it really gets going and we talked a little bit about your career and and perhaps if I can just ask you maybe one final question which is if you were you know looking back to all those twists and turns that you had in your career path and, and like a younger Andrew in a sense um, much earlier on what advice do you think you'd give yourself now that would have been helpful to know back then? Well, it's a good question, Justin. I mean, I've, I think I've been quite lucky in my career, really. I, although I've had a few sort of ups and downs, as we as life does, um, I think overall I've been I've always pursued interesting projects and things that have interested me and found very committed to it. I think there's it, it's that um, you know I've always been in public service or say working for charities and things like that. Uh, I think there's this incredibly value. It doesn't mean to say you can make arts, you can work in private sector or wherever you, wherever you like, really, but. Uh, I think it's quite a good message, I think, is if it's, it's a, don't stick with something that you're not getting much reward from. Um, think hard about uh, what you what 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 um, gets you gets you up in the morning and things like that. You know, it's it's uh, and I think follow, you know, follow your heart is probably a bit of a slightly a, sort of a, um, a gooey way to leave a conversation but I, I do think you know like you only live once really so make sure that what you do when you're doing that is something that you feel is really benefiting yourself and, and, and satisfying your you know your, your deep aspirations brilliant advice to end with and and I I also think I think you're right a because that matters anyway but b I think you tend to be better at stuff that you like doing often and so you know going with your with your interests and with your passion this is probably makes for a better career as well I guess Andrew too which is a really good place um, to finish Look, Andrew Atfield um, it's been fantastic having you on we're so delighted that Bart's is part of the leveling up goals work um, and absolutely brilliant to hear about everything that you're doing in your local community which you know as you say from a health equity perspective um, we can really benefit from from all of this focus Andrew thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you very much it's been a pleasure